Hello and welcome to another episode of the Comfort Monk Podcast. Today I had the absolute pleasure of speaking with Kifo Nielsen, who is an amazing musician and absolutely brilliant photographer as well. Um, in recent years, Kifo has been involved with a live production of The Point, which is an album written by his father, Harry Nielsen, who is an absolute all-time favorite of mine um, and you know, the the absolute beauty of that catalog of music is certainly not lost on Kifo, who has been doing a project called Nilsson Sings Nilsson, um, where he's recorded a lot of his father's music, um, but he's also done this live production of The Point, where he's had, you know, I think there's been a few different iterations of it, but one of them had Tim Heidecker doing the narration in place of the original, which was Ringo Starr, and I believe, God, I'm blanking on who did the other one, but... It's just the legendary album, as well as all of Harry's records. Um, but yeah, we got into a lot of things as far as what Kipo's been up to. He's, he's been doing a lot of photography, wildlife photography in particular, um, in the Santa Monica Mountains. Uh, he's been recording and playing music with a band called Brother Sister, which is a Los Angeles-based group that is just unbelievable. Chops for days, just so entertaining to watch. Um, They've done some live streams over the course of the pandemic that have been really enjoyable, and yeah, they've got a lot of great music out there as well. Um, but yeah, Kifo, it was a dream talking to him. Uh, of course, we got into a lot of things involving Harry. Um, you know, Kifo played on what was the posthumous record Lost and Found of Harry's music. Uh, he played bass on that, and yeah, he's just a, you know an absolutely brilliant musician, and it was great to get to talk to him and kind of dive into his own musical and creative journey as well as touching on you know our shared passion for his father's catalog um but yeah take the time to listen to some of Kifo's music throw on those old Harry Nilsson records um and recently both myself and our friend Marshall Brown have done a deep dive into a book about uh Harry's life and I believe it's just called I want to say it's just called Harry Nilsson the life of a songwriter um but it is so good, and it was really informative about uh, just a lot of aspects of Harry's life that I wasn't familiar with. Uh, yeah, so thank you so much for listening, guys. This is our episode with Kipo Nilsson. It's going to be a good one. Thanks. First day in August, the last rain was in May. When the rainmaker came to Kansas in the middle of a dusty day. Said the rainmaker to the people, tell me what you are prepared to pay. I sent the rainmaker to the people and I'll conjure up a rain today. You know, there's a million things that I could pick your brain about, but I figured one of the things I'd start with is just what it seems like you've been doing uh, the most of lately, which is that wildlife photography. Are you living? I mean, I'm assuming you must live pretty close to the Santa Monica mountain ranges, right? Uh, yeah. They're just right over pretty much right next to them. And how, how long have you been doing this wildlife photography? Well, the wildlife photography is actually, um, it's actually in hiatus to be honest. I know it looks very recent cause that's where a lot of my recent posts are about, but it's, um, a lot of those are kind of reposts. It's something that I did between about 2014 and maybe 2019, uh, or 2018. Um, and so I was doing it for a good, you know, four or five years and, uh, I would just go out, uh, hiking. There's a particular trail I like that I found a little offshoot trail. It's like, pretty perfect because it's really close to a parking lot but not a lot of people know about it because there's like a really main popular trail there and then there's just a little offshoot that lot, like people don't really think is a trail but it actually is and actually goes to a very cool area so i kind of discovered that area and i was like hey you know this is cool because there's not a lot of people here and there is a lot of evidence of wildlife and i have a long-standing interest in wildlife and I was looking, you know, reading the tracks and trying to figure out what was there. And I was like, you know, it might actually make sense is to get some cameras out here and just, uh, so I got these little purpose built, like, you know, these trail cameras that they make and just set them up and started, uh, started finding pictures of everything pretty much. I mean, that was the, the real, uh, thrill of it was that this tiny little mile of trail that I was on random spot, uh, spot in the Santa Monica mountains 
yielded bobcats and coyotes and foxes and even mountain lions and skunks and deer and just pretty much every bit of fauna that is there showed up at some point. Yeah, I mean, it, it's pretty impressive on multiple levels. Obviously, like the shots are, are you know, your first impression and they're just getting great, um, you know, just great pictures. But the the amount of them made, get, I mean, I guess, you know, you're shooting probably tons of them in a, in a single trip, but just seems like there had to have been a period where you were really hitting it pretty hard just based off of the volume alone. Yeah. Well, what I would do for a long time is I had these cameras and I just left them out. So they were automatically triggering cameras and I had three of them and I would just pick different spots and I'd leave it in a spot for about a week or, or if, you know, maybe a little longer, maybe a little less long. I found a couple spots that were kind of like really good. I called them like the highways, like the wildlife highways. They were like junctions where it'd be like an animal trail and the human trail kind of intersecting. So I'd find these like sort of uh, junction points and I'd place the cameras kind of strategically there. But then on top of that too, I mean, you, you, you've noticed from my, uh, from my profile, like I do also have an actual camera with a big lens that I do take wildlife uh, photos directly where I'm, you know, just hanging out. And some of the recent ones that you might've saw, like there's a photo of a moose that I saw out in Colorado and some bighorn sheep and some cool stuff. So a lot, a lot of birds and stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. There's just a huge, you know, sprawling landscapes out there and there's just so much to see i i you know, excuse me for being kind of naive but when i when i was younger i, I did a huge chunk of the john muir trail with my sure. older yeah. brother is that is are the santa monicas are they part of that or is that just a, or no are they not it's a, yeah it's two different ranges the john muir trail is in the eastern sierra which is about four hours north of los angeles well three four hours north of los angeles and santa monicas are basically just right next to los angeles right on the coast okay so one's, one's gotcha. inland, like central California inland, and the other is by, by the coast. Well, man, there, there's just nothing that quite compares to the, the, the nature that you can see just a few hours in any direction from L.A. I mean, it's yeah, unbelievable. It really is something special. And it's one of the things about L.A. that people kind of don't recognize as much, I feel, but it like really is the wildlife and just the nature is right outside of it. And it really is uh, spectacular. Like I would put the Santa Monica mountain range up there with any place I've been, you know, at, at all. It's just such a, such a great spot, man. I I'm glad to know that it's basically the backyard to LA proper. Um, a friend and I are make, planning a trip right now to, to make it back out to the West and a big part of the trip. We want to see really not the city that much we want to see you know the stuff all around it you know whether it be the santa monica's or driving a few hours to check out joshua tree but we've been racking our heads over like things that uh that seem like okay we'd have to rent a car for this or that but if the santa monica's are right there i mean we might that might yeah, be they're, more they're tangible. pretty close they're pretty close i mean you still probably would have to rent a car but it wouldn't be a whole day excursion you know you'd you get there you know, a lot, a lot quicker and have a good day trip of it. Yeah. I might have to add that to our tentative itinerary, man. I mean, you basically but, uh, can't come to LA without renting a car, right? So, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's unavoidable to a certain yeah. extent. Um, but, uh, yeah, man, you said that you've, you've always had this interest in wildlife. Do you kind of remember, you know, some of the earlier examples of being inspired by that? I mean, other than just being a kid and I mean, most kids find animals awesome, but was there anything in particular that, that you remember striking your curiosity? Yeah. I mean, it's, um, well, back when I was a kid, I definitely always liked hiking and stuff. And like, I can remember I would always, we would go to like, uh, down here, there's a place called the Paramount, Paramount ranch that used to be owned by Paramount studios. Maybe it still is, but it was a filming ranch and they filmed a bunch of uh, TV shows there, a filming ranch studio, you know, it was a ranch style studio space outdoors with a big, like wild West town and stuff. And they filmed a bunch of stuff there. And it was also open to the public as like a park that you could just kind of go to and hang out. And we would often go there. Uh, and I remember being a kid and I would just wander off basically, you know, just on my own. Like I just always wanted to climb the biggest hill. You know, I always wanted to go into the Creek. I always just wanted to do that. So it really just has always been a, an interest. I do have this one memory from when I was like, this might even be my, you know, that, that, that idea of like, what's your earliest memory. But I do have this one memory from when I was like probably two or three really young and sitting in the living room, and we had like a big glass, you know, door into the patio and the lights were on inside and it was sunset outside, dark outside. And a 
coyote came up right there to the glass and I, I could see it like face to face, you know, this is the glass between us and it could see me clearly because the lights are on and I could see it because, you know, the light was spilling onto the patio a bit. And I remember being like terrified by it, but like it still stuck with me because, you know, it was this giant monster coming out of the dark to a three-year-old or whatever. Right. Uh, but it's still a memory that stuck with me, you know, and I think that insofar as those things can, can uh, seed to later interests, I guess, you know, that's as good a good a story as any to, to tag it, I think. Oh, for sure, man. And it was something, I mean, not to like get over uh, indulgent with wax and poetic here, but there's something to be said about like the safety of that, that patio glass door and the safety of some distance and, uh, and a camera lens between you and, and the wildlife too, you know? like Yeah, for sure. Like I've never been a, a Steve Irwin. I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to um, handle wildlife so much. Uh, right, I just want right. to observe. I like observing it. And you know, I've read a couple books on, on tracking and I I've gone to it. Like, you know, I've, I've been to like a masterclass or two, you know, like I've, it's just, it's a subject that I've spent a little bit of attention on and it's just fascinating. Like, you know, it's kind of a detective, you know, it scratches this sort of detective uh, itch of like, you go out there and if you know what to look for, then you can see all the evidence of animals being there. And then you can see like, Oh, are they still here? Have they moved on? Are they going to come back? And then when you have the cameras to kind of confirm things, it really is a, uh, just a lot of fun yeah i'm sure man i think uh i'm I'm glad you do it and i'm glad that that you're uh putting it out there for others to see i mean even if you were just doing it for you know your own private collection it'd be fine but it's there's i don't know that's that's fascinating it just makes me want to get back to the west coast even more to appreciate the inspiration man (laughs) but uh so i know you've got this you know long history of you know, just being intrigued by nature in general, but do you remember, I mean, was the photography aspect, is there, is, is there a decent bit of history to that? Were you, were you snapping photos as a teenager or is that more of a later in life interest? Yeah, a little bit. Uh, I did take a photography class in high school and I had like a cheap little camera, black and white camera. And I, and I did like it a lot. I don't know that I was ever any, any good at it particularly, but I enjoyed it. Uh, and then I kind of didn't have a camera for a while. And then I just got one couple of years ago again and invested in this kind of really nice lens that well it's it's really nice for what it is it's a big lens is what it is it's not like top of the line because the top of the line big lenses are like literally twenty thousand dollars but this one is just a good solid 600 millimeter uh telephoto lens that's great for wildlife or if you see a plane overhead you can like see what you can make out the tail number sometimes and uh, so that's I just, incredible Damn, that was kind of recently though kind of getting back into it so there must be just like an insane zoom on that. Yeah, lens. it's it's crazy. It's really crazy. It's a big, big lens, six hundred millimeter. It's uh, yeah, it's a zoom. It goes one fifty to six hundred, and it's you know the the compromise there is that it doesn't take in a ton of light, and that's kind of the thing. It's like to get a lens that's that big that also takes in a lot of light. That's what's twenty. You know, that's twenty thousand yeah. dollars, and it's and it's like twenty pounds. Like you've seen those giant, giant lenses. This one's not quite as big. The compromise is that it's a slower lens, so you kind of need to be doing it in really bright conditions, and you need it works best with a tripod, and it's hard to do, you know, handheld, but handheld, but. Well, I guess that's the beauty of. I mean, you're not going to get much more sunlight than out on those uh, trails, you know. Once you get out, yeah, of the for sure. Canopy the, area, or of whatever. course. The the downside is that all the wildlife um, is most active. Have you ever done much in the, like the? other extreme gear wise like have you done much in the film photography uh oh not not as much not so like 35 millimeter or anything like that not so much i mean back in high school i did have that little camera doing black and white you know 35 millimeter but that was just a couple years in high school you know that was so long ago right yeah nowadays it's like you're seeing less and less uh places for developing film i mean i mean maybe it's better out where you are but here it's just you know you end up having to go to a CVS and lose it some of its charm that way you know yeah well I think with black and white you can still do it yourself basically if you can figure out you know if you have a garage or something you can convert it into a dark room it's still doable you can get the chemicals and all that but that's black and white only I've never done color development I know that's a whole other process yeah absolutely I mean it's an art form in itself just the developing you know but um, yeah for sure. Well, man, I'd, I'd love to hear about your kind of just really your musical journey as a whole, to put it in simple terms. I mean, I'm pretty aware of what you've been up to, you know, 
in the last decade. And I definitely want to um, touch on that later on in the conversation, but I'd love to hear about like, you know, I mean, kind of really your first steps into pursuing music on your own was, was, I mean, I know you've played a lot of bass over the years, but was that your first instrument? Uh, it wasn't technically my first instrument. No, I did. Um, I did have like a little kid's drum kit, I guess maybe it would be the first, but when I was like in middle school, I think we had the opportunity, you know, it was like to pick an elective and it was like Spanish class or French class. I think there was like an art class elective and then there was a music class elective and I chose the music class. I was like, yeah, that sounds, that sounds like what I want to do. So it would have been like 11 or 12 at the time. And I picked up trumpet was, was the first I picked up in like band class. And I did that for a year. Then I switched to the saxophone, did that for like the next two years. And I picked up the bass like the last year of middle school, I think. So I think I was 14, 15, no, 13. I don't remember exactly how old I was, but um, picked it up like second or last year of middle school was when I picked up the bass. And that was just sort of like, partly because band music was kind of boring and kind of not, it was kind of corny. Like it wasn't fun. It wasn't like, you know, punk and, you know, the music that I was listening to at the time wasn't like that exciting, you know, stuff. So I wanted something like, but I felt like guitar was almost like cliche. Like everyone played guitar. So I wanted to be a little different. So I wanted to pick up the bass um at the time and then i just stuck with it i just i found that uh i had another friend of mine actually was also playing bass around that same time and i just found that like we were learning at about the same pace but i very quickly was learning faster like it was coming to me a little bit more naturally and i was feeling like really comfortable on it and i was just like you know what this is this is my instrument oh yeah man that's awesome i'm glad it it, it didn't take you long to find one you know i feel like people bounce around a little more than that some days uh but i mean do you remember really what the first project that you were leaning into that was original music, you know, outside of band class and that kind of stuff? Uh, not so much. I mean, I, I, over the years, I mostly just like, I would learn songs and I would play songs and then I would, you know, jam with friends, you know, do a lot of stuff like that. And, you know, not a whole lot in terms of just like the early years of like actually sitting recording. Cause back then, you know, this is the late nineties and the early two thousands and, kind of the the world we have now of easy computer recording wasn't really available then so it was kind of an in-between you know like so it wasn't a whole lot of that just a lot of jamming with friends mostly back then right yeah i think at that age hardly anybody's got it together to to make a record you were lucky if you got it together enough to to jam and yeah come up with a fake band name or whatever you know that's about as productive as it gets in middle school nine times out of ten yeah, and into high school too. I mean, it was kind of the same vibe. In high school, you know, we played a lot of music together and I had, you know, my friends and, you know, there was a drummer and a guitarist and we would just, we'd jam and we'd play songs. We'd learn songs and uh, played a lot of jazz too. I mean, like that was always a real focus, uh, like education wise, learned a lot of like the jazz uh, history and stuff like that and theory and all these things. Yeah. And when, so after college, I mean, sorry, rather after high school, did you end up going off to study music or, or anything like that? Or what was it, what was their kind of journey like post high school? Yeah, I did, um, end up going to the Berkeley college of music for a year. And then I left partly just cause I felt like I wasn't really, I guess simply put, I wasn't like mature enough to be there. Like I was, I was getting distracted so easily by other things that I just felt like I wasn't giving it like the attention that it should have had. So I was like, you know, kind of spinning my wheels here. Like, I don't know, I'm getting distracted. I want to do other stuff. And then I started doing some recording uh, and I was recording a lot of songs on my own, just kind of putting them on the internet. They're not really out there anymore. Cause again, this was early two thousands and some of the sites that I would upload to are, are gone now. Um, but it's, uh, you know, I was just making stuff on my computer with like, you know, my laptop and my keyboard and my bass making little beats and making little just random things like that. I did that for a while and played with some bands here and there, a session or two here and there. I wasn't really like thriving, you know, in my, in my, in, or, or doing anything particularly interesting back then. Uh, just playing a lot, you know, I just always played, you know, I always really just never didn't play and never didn't try to be a good player. Yeah. I mean, if you're talking about in terms of just, productive work towards growing as a player there's nothing that's going to lead to more growth than just always playing you know yeah for sure and yeah and just yeah always always having something to do and just just for the love of it and the joy of it is is always like that's why you do it you know yeah i mean that's got to be step one i mean if there's if, if 
if you're doing it for any other reason, you're probably going to be disappointed very quickly. Uh, so you got to like, you know, you got to be in it for the craft of it and for the love of it first and foremost. And then anything else is just kind of a bonus points, you know? Um, but man, you know, God, there's, there's some things that you've done in the past, you know, decade or so that I've somehow just slipped past me and it just frustrates me to no end. But like in particular, you know, the, the theater production of the point, I don't know how I, I mean, I would have, you know, I would have loved to have flown out and seen something like that, but somehow it just went right past me until really only a short while ago when I realized that that even happened. But I'd love to kind of pick your brain about just the genesis of that project and God, there's like, I got a lot of questions, but I guess the first and foremost, just kind of what were the first seeds of, of that production coming together and, and how did it kind of come to be? Yeah, well, that's the thing I've been doing um, last five years or so, putting together, I guess, four years now. I don't know. It's the last, I mean, 2020 doesn't count, right? We're all kind of right. blitz. We're all kind of blitzed by 2020. Anytime you say four years, it's probably five years and et cetera. But yeah, uh, put together, it's it's less of a theater show. It's actually more of just a concert. Um, okay. Present, kind of presenting the album in its entirety with uh, the narration, but without theatrical element. Like, it's not acting it out. It's just telling the story. So we okay. go back and forth between the song, and then we have a, like a guest narrator um, who will come on and, and narrate the album, and then we we buffer it with a, a collection of my dad's songs towards the end, like just to kind of uh, fill out the set because otherwise it's a very short set. So we kind of make it full, like a, a little bit, like an hour, um, and that's just you know it's it's trying to focus it as a concert first and foremost, like a performance, and it came about some years ago when I was just talking about how well because. Prior to when I did that, I was on tour. And this is like the pinnacle of my being a musician. I got to go on a tour, a professional tour with Glenn Campbell. I was playing bass wow. with Glenn Campbell. Um, and I was friends with the family. And then that tour ended and I was still friends. And I was hanging out with uh, the drummer, his son, Cal. And we were hanging out. We were doing some recording back then. And basically, there was this long-running discussion that we had about how like you know, here we are, Glenn Campbell on tour with his sons and his daughter and I'm on, you know, we're there. And, but there was never a Nilsson tour. You know, back in the day, there was never a Nilsson tour. There was never a Nilsson live show. And we just were sort of thinking about how like that was always just like this, you know, because the the, the surviving Beatles still play live shows. The, the Beach Boys still play live shows. Fleetwood Mac still plays shows. Like all of that generation still plays shows. And obviously my dad's no longer with us, but his music was never really represented in a live concert context. Um, one-off shows that people would do tribute shows here and there, but there was never like a solid performance of it. So it was something that we'd always kicked around. Like while we were on tour, we talked about it. And at some point, the idea that the point would be kind of a good sort of crystallized, you know, a simple, well-packaged uh, sort of a way to, because I guess maybe the initial concept would have been, let's put together a full-on Nilsson show, right? Let's do just a whole review. Let's do a bunch of songs from a bunch of records and make it a good long show. But that's maybe a little bit too ambitious to start with. So the point was, it felt it felt a little bit more uh, packaged, you know, like a little bit tighter focus. So we, we went with that, you know, to go to, to start there. Well, yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And when you say to start with, it almost uh, begs the question, do you think down the road there will be something that's a little bit more um career spanning as far as uh you guys covering more of the catalog yeah and that's been the goal since the start pretty much and every time we do it we try to throw in more songs from the catalog um really it's just covid and 2020 derailed a lot of things i mean we were building this up we've we've done four or five shows now total um and I had like four or five more in, you know, pre-production when, the, when 2020 shut everything down. So like I was really, the gears were starting to turn again. We were starting to get, you know, interest again. And I was talking to some theater, you know, a theater in New York and, you know, just, just trying to spread it out and try to grow it from there. But, you know, it all just shut down. So <laughs> really yeah. not a whole lot to say other than that. It's just, oops, you know, what, what can you do? Once in a lifetime event, you know? Yeah. I mean, you know, the world got paused, but, you know, hopefully things... We're slowly getting back to a place where maybe you can start thinking about getting those gears turning again, you know? I mean, you know, no rush to it if it does happen, but I, I think that's the goal, right, is for, for us to be getting back on track to where 
yeah something like that's possible for sure there's definitely something that uh you know it's on my mind it's just a question of venues opening up again and then reaching out to the venues seeing you know because it's i i really can't predict it but it could be that they're going to be slammed with like every band in the world is like let's play shows again or maybe bands are going to be a little bit more tentative and maybe bookings actually gonna be a little easier because maybe people aren't going to want to jump right back into it i don't know but either way, it's just, yeah, that process again of reaching out and pitching the show and starting from scratch and just trying to try to make it happen again and see see what we can do. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm here for it, man. Uh, as soon as the gears do start turning for that, I'm going to be uh, planning my trip to wherever the hell that show is happening. Cause, I, I mean, appreciate it. Yeah, we've really only done them in L.A. We did one in San Francisco. But the rest have all been around LA, and that's something that I've wanted to change. Like I wanted to do one, like in Nashville, maybe Austin, maybe Chicago. Oh, wait. we did a half of one in Chicago. I, I did a guest appearance with a with a friend's band out there called the Flat Five, where we did like kind of a couple. Like we did like what would we do like four or five songs. We did most of it, but we didn't do like the full production. We did most of it though. I think some of that's on YouTube, man. I, I yeah, think that's a bit of it do, is. Like, yeah, got to get up or something. Yeah, or yeah, yeah. One, a bit of it possibly. Is. And that was just really um, great. They're just some friends of mine. They just invited me out, like, "Hey, let's do this." I was like, "Absolutely, let's do it. That's fun." Well, the the rest of that band were on fire, man. I mean, that, those are those are good yeah, people to have involved. They're legit. They've been. They're kind of like Chicago local heroes. They've been doing it for I don't know, fifteen, twenty years, and really well uh, established around that town. Well, you, you can tell. I mean, they they don't sound like uh, anything short of seasoned pros, but uh. But yeah, man. Um, I guess you know one big thing that stood out to me when I was looking at, at that, uh, you know, the the point show series is at least one of the times uh, you got Tim Heidecker to be involved with the narration. Or do you guys have like a? Did you guys know each other before that, or was it kind of like yeah. old contact? No, I'd actually known him for a couple of years before that. We met at uh, some time back in LA and through mutual friends. And it's something that he and I had actually kind of talked about doing for, I don't know, a couple of years, maybe. Like, I think around the time we did the first point show, I talked to him like, hey, this thing might be interesting. He's like, absolutely. But the scheduling wasn't really uh, happening then. And um, it just came around that the, the, but the when we got him, eventually, it was just perfect timing. The scheduling was right. And it's uh, it was really great. You know, he, he did such a great job. He's such a kind of... And it's, it's great, too, because so many people in the band we're all of the generation that kind of grew up watching his material, you know, like right. on, on adult swim and stuff. So we were all just like, this is awesome to work with him. Heidecker. It's so cool. And, but he just really killed it. He had a great time. We had a great time. It was a really great show. Well, you know, oddly enough, like, like when I was growing up, I think you and I, well, I guess what year were you born? Were you 85. Late 80s? Okay. So yeah. I'm a little behind you. I'm 91, but, but you know i i agree you know we're, we're kind of the generation that really grew up with tom goes to mayor and uh tim and eric and whatnot um you know we may have been i guess what high school age or whatever but you know i when that stuff was coming out i would have never thought that tim had the musical chops that he does man like he's i think that there's just you know of course there's that like you said there's the part of 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 just being excited because we recognize him from what we've seen him in and that being a good, you know, just a side bonus feature of having him involved with the point. But I think musically he and your dad have more in common than you might think, you know, I mean, they're, they both have like a hugely strong uh, sense of humor, obviously. Um, But just, uh, you know, Tim channels that sort of, 60s 70s songwriter vibe on his solo material even if it's a ridiculous song like you know just absurdist comedy he's still uh if you took out that silent silliness and it would it could fit right in with anything from that era but the reason it ties in so well with with your dad's catalog is is that that uh embracing of absurdity you know yeah, like if Tim there's any is, modern artist who might be uh who might think up something in the same vein as uh as your lime in the coconut, you know, it might be Tim. I think Tim is totally legit. He's a extremely talented guy and he takes things like it 
he he's he, yeah he just he's really he's genuine he's legit and his music is really good and uh it it is i guess a little surprising when you only know him as being this absurdist sort of surreal comedian or whatever but like he just has the chops when he puts his mind to it he really can get down one of the things that first impressed upon me when i first met him actually um is that he's a he's like a and especially of the 60s and 70s, but he's a really very knowledgeable music encyclopedia. Like, his, like, he really does know a lot about that era, a lot about the records in that era. He really cares about it. And I was just like, wow, you know, this guy really knows his stuff. And then it turns out, you know, like the, the music stuff, which he's been ramping up, you know, it's like every subsequent release, he's doing more and more and more. And it's just getting better and better and better. And that's been really cool to see for sure. And I, yeah, and I do agree. I think his sense of humor... His sense of just irreverent sort of humor is very Nilsson reminiscent in in some ways, and he doesn't quite go into the same uh, ballad style, perhaps. But the the more you know, just yeah, it, it, he's great. I really like him a lot. And I would say maybe uh, as the albums of his have uh, slowly started, to, you know, as more and more of them have come out, I think he's getting further from. You know, I think maybe he leaned on the comedic side more on the first things he put out. And I feel like he's getting less reliant on that and more comfortable with just writing songs. You know, some of it being, I think there's a good balance. And I don't, I don't think that I, I'm not encouraging him to lose sight of the comedy side. But I think that it's, it's nice to see that he's not afraid to just, some of the stuff is just, I mean, if you didn't know it was Tim Heidecker, you wouldn't think of it as yeah. really comedic at all. Yeah, yeah, you just yeah, it just it's a good song, and a good song is a good song. Something I say about Tim is like he never misses. Like all the projects I've seen him involved in are good, and he just he just never misses. Like everything he's done is it's either very funny or it's just very genuine or it's just well produced. So he's a very talented guy, and he's got a good you know he keeps his eye on the ball and and really gets things done, and it's really cool. I don't know if you if you've paid much attention to like his whole on cinema world of of that oh. whole stuff, the kind of newer stuff that they've been doing, like. No, I'm not sure if I'm really familiar with it. Well, it's just this, they did, uh, him and Greg Turkington did a, uh, and they still do, this uh, uh, fake movie review uh, show that they've been running on YouTube and, or I guess it's on Adult Swim too now. Um, but it's just, it's it's brilliant. It is absolutely brilliant. It's some, some of the funniest stuff he's ever done. And it's been going on for like years now. It's just kind of in the background. And it seems like a side, it, like at first glance, it feels like it's a side project. But it's absolutely every bit as good as anything else he's done. So nice. Well, I appreciate the recommendation. I'm definitely going to check that out, man. It, it, and it, it really kind of warms my heart hearing you say, you know, a good song is a good song because honestly, that's that's one of the reasons that I wanted to to chat with you. And you know, it's unavoidable to to, to talk about um, you know your dad's catalog. But I love that you. I mean, that you really embrace that catalog. But one of the things I really like about what I've seen you do is, you know, like the, the Nilsson sings Nilsson, it, it speaks to that, that idea of the song kind of being the important part of everything, which I think your dad, uh, you know, one of the things about his career that really speaks to me is that, 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 uh, that balance of like, you know, it doesn't even matter who the author of this song is. Uh, it's about the performance and the interpretation of it. You know, everybody always talks about, you know, how several of your dad's most well-known recordings are other people's songs and, and vice versa. A lot of his most known uh, original works are, uh, you know, the big versions or the, you know, the, the number one hit version is three dog night or, or whatever you have it, but it, it I think there's, I, I just really appreciate the idea of the song being what's important and whether in the authorship, not even necessarily being important, you know, but basically same way that Otis Redding wrote respect, but the quintessential version of respect is Aretha Franklin. And I just feel like that's yeah. like something that people don't think about as much anymore. Right. There's like, there's some, there's like a lack of ego to that and more of a, more of a deep appreciation of the songwriting craft. And I think um, something I was listening to that talked about the lost and sound record, I think uh, the rescue boy concept of, you know, kind of 
rescuing the art of songwriting a bit. Um, I mean, not to put words into Harry's mouth with that, but you know, like just the thought of appreciating it on that deeper level with a little bit of a, an absence of ego and more of an importance on just the strength of a song. Yeah. I mean, I think that really was at the heart of what he was trying to do as an artist. Um, he wasn't the most talented instrumentalist, you know, he wasn't the ripping guitar player or the crazy piano virtuoso. Uh, he was a hell of a singer, of course, but I think that he knew his strength was in just the craft of song. And that was something that he was always wanting to pursue interesting ideas stuff that you know excited him and made him you know want to get into the studio and just drill it and get you know knock it out and that really i think was uh that yeah as good of anything to define his perspective and he was very honest with it you know he just approached it and did it and he left behind a really great body of work that i think is very characteristic in its honesty and its integrity you know, there are not very many Nielsen songs that you look and think, oh, he just did that because the label asked him to do it or whatever. Like, there's nothing in there that just feels out of place. Like, it all feels very much like it came from the same source. And then within that, however the songs are done, they still carry as songs because they started from that same uh, place, that same uh, inspiration, I think. And yeah, I would say that that's uh, totally a way that I look at the catalog and, and his legacy and... Yeah. I mean, and like you said, I mean, zero audience pandering, you know, I mean, if anything, almost to, a, almost to a fault. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say, not to yeah. a fault, but to, yeah, just, um, if you're thinking in terms of capitalism, <laughs> you know, like maybe I'm sure some record labels could have been like, look, Harry, like it's the seventies, people are doing this and that that's what's popular, but no, he just did Harry. And yeah. that was ever evolving and ever growing, but it was never derivative and it was certainly not at all um, trend following. You know, I mean, it was, you know, nobody else was really leaning into the things that he was leaning into. And, and you're right. People do talk about, oh, you know, he wasn't the shredder, but I don't, I don't want to hear anybody shredding on his tunes. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's true. Yeah. If somebody was shredding, I'd kick him out. You yeah. Know? It's, they, they it's interesting. It's a distraction. It's, it's interesting about that when you think about it. Cause like, there are some artists, some bands where they want to highlight, you know, hear the performances of the guitars, the basses, you know, and there's other times you want to highlight the voice. Other times you want to highlight the song. And he was definitely more in the latter. And yeah, for sure. I do wonder sometimes, I mean, it was a conscious decision on his part to like never tour and never play live shows. And that may have been the one thing, you know, and I feel for myself again, to go back to like why we did the point shows and stuff. I don't really consider myself a songwriter per se, uh, that's not really my wheelhouse, but I do love performing and I do really like production and I really like, you know, all that element of it. So again, to me, it was like, well, there's this great book of songs that my dad wrote that he never performed live. And I'm a guy who likes to perform, put them together and see what we can do, you know, because I do feel like that's the one element again, like I said before, like it's the one element, the live performance element that was never really uh, explored enough kind of kind of uh you know kind of regret that it was never explored enough yeah absolutely Ooh, tasty i love it <laughs> um gosh well um i guess the the natural place to take it conversationally at this point is kind of um the lost and found album you know um i mean you know there's a million talking points we could cover but i guess First and foremost, I mean, the project was in the works before you came on to play bass. Am I right? Or am I getting that wrong? Uh, yeah, I believe it was. I don't know how much in the works. I mean, I think it, it depends on how you define in the works. Because from Mark Hudson's perspective, who produced the record, it's been in the works for 25 years or so. You know, pretty much they started it back when they did and then they just never finished. And it's just sort of been, quote unquote, in the works mentally, if not physically. Uh, but this, you know, extant version of it uh, started, yeah, they, they kicked it off with Mark, you know, getting getting the old tapes and getting the personnel together and starting up some sessions. And then, yeah, called me up and basically said, hey, I hear, I hear you play bass. And I said, yes, I do. Well, would you like to uh, play bass? And I said, yes, I would. And we came down to the studio and played some bass and it, it worked out pretty well. 
Well, I, I got to say, man, you know, I'm sure you've experienced some records that have come out, uh, you know, long after the uh, primary artist passed that just kind of felt like you could hear the absence of that artist or, you know, you just kind of have this like mixed feeling like, uh, yes, I'm glad to have new material, but does this feel honest to the artists involved? And this might be the best example I've ever heard of a record that, you know, was really, um, you know, a, a large, huge, huge amount of the production happened after the primary artist passed where, uh, it, do, I don't feel like that. There's a, uh, like you feel like Harry's missing from it. It feels so true to, you know, his back catalog and where he was heading as an artist. And I, it just, if it, it feels like you guys really did him right by that record. Yeah, a lot of that's on Mark. You know, he produced the whole thing and, you know, he had a kind of vision for it. And I think it's it's one of those classic examples for me as the bass player because I pretty much just came in to play bass. I wasn't trying to be, you know, the extra cook in the kitchen and trying to, you know, run the show or anything. But it's one of those things when you're sometimes when you're just doing the session for just a part and you kind of hear it as it is, and you're kind of a little skeptical, like, is this really going to work out necessarily? Especially for material that's so you know, we're kind of building around this material that's already there, but then you hear the final product and it's like, yep, it worked out. All right. This is great. So it's, it's, it is very sweet. And again, I think it comes back to the point you were making earlier about how just when you have a good song, you got a good song and yep. it's always going to communicate that it's a good song. You know, it could be recorded a hundred different ways and it's pretty much always going to communicate that it's a good song. Yeah. And that, and this batch of songs, it's just a, I can't really think of a more appropriate bookend to your dad's career in the sense that, you know, a song like UCLA feels almost maybe less so, um, well, I don't know, I guess compositionally too, but uh, I was going to say it almost makes me think of, uh, God, what is it, that that early, early track your dad did with all of the, the Beatles callbacks to it, you know, they had, it, it oh, you, you of, can't do that. Exactly. Yeah. It, 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 certainly has a nod to that um heavy nod to that but also not at all regurgitated it it's as if the other one never happened before you know they're so they're so different yet they have that common pretty unmissable common quality too yeah and i think that's a good point about the record in general is that none of it really feels like he's rehashed ideas that were already on the table it all does feel like like you said this is more towards the direction he was moving and this is pretty true to that now if i recall correctly uh ucla and a couple others i didn't actually perform on those were some of them because of the whole project some of the tracks were further along than others and i think ucla was pretty much finished like that was a almost a finished track so they just kind of maybe remastered it a bit maybe added some elements here and there but i know i didn't i don't think i played bass on that one Gotcha. Yeah, I was kind of wondering about that. I was wondering, like, if there was just no bass recorded at all at that point. You know, I mean, it's it's such a different yeah. way for I, a I just know that a couple start. of them were recorded more completely, and a couple of them were just shells. You know, they were just basically demos, so... Well, I'd have to imagine, you know, obviously being born in 85, there's a few other projects of your dad's that, you know, he may have been tinkering with, but this has these collection of songs have to be, like the primary uh, examples of, of songs that he was recording on or, you know, that he was tinkering with while you were on the planet. You know what I mean? Like, cause most of, most of his recorded work is prior yeah. to your birth. So there's something no, extra true. special about, you know, you were, you were probably running around, uh, you know, the house while he was thinking up a lot of these ideas, you know, it makes it all just, I don't know. It's, every once in a while, some things are right in this world. And I, I think, I think this record is a, is a shining example of that. Well, that's very cool. I'm glad you enjoyed it. You know, I'm, I'm just glad it got out, you know, eventually we, we got it out there. It, it, it saw the light of day. Finally, I think that's just really cool. And um, yeah, I mean, to that point, like I can remember hearing, I think like woman, a woman uh, like that melody. Like, I don't know that I recognize it as woman, a woman, but I can't I, like from when I was a child, you know, five or six years old, I certainly can remember it. Um, cause I remember he would take mixes from the studio back on cassette tapes and he would listen to them maybe in the car or home stereo or whatever. And so I can remember a couple of them, woman, a woman, maybe, uh, snow is falling and yeah, 
yeah, it's just a, it's a, I don't know, it's just a beautiful batch of songs, man. I can't say, I mean, you know, I'm preaching to the choir here. I know that you, that's part of the reason why, uh, why I'm just so excited about a lot of the, of the work you've been doing. But I mean, your dad is, uh, responsible for quite a few of my favorite songs ever written, man. So I'm, it's awesome to see you really honest, honoring the legacy and, and building on it, you know, I mean, you're doing things that, like you said, he wasn't touring. So you're kind of, you know, filling in some blank spots, which is cool. You know, you're not just, uh, recycling anything. You're, you're taking his love for the, the songwriting craft and kind of expanding on it a bit, which is just beautiful to see, man. Um, but I guess, you know, um, you know, you've, you've been just like the rest of us, probably navigating 2020 slash 2021 cautiously and whatnot. But is there anything on your kind of creative bucket list, you know, that once maybe, you know, I guess maybe some of them might be on pause, like you were saying with additional shows, but just in general, whether it's something that is live performance or just recording anything that you really want to get around to doing that you haven't had a chance to do yet. Um, well, I would say, you know, the other project that I work on just generally is I've been playing bass for a band in LA called brother sister, um, which is not actually my brothers and sisters. It's just the name of the band. Uh, but I've been playing bass in that band for about two years now, almost three years, probably again, that COVID thing, who knows if it's two or three, right. Uh, but we've been putting out, uh, videos, uh, kind of recorded, we're recording sessions where we record our parts at home and do a video at home. So like bedroom, you know, recording sessions and putting them out as our quarantine, like we're calling like the quarantine sessions or the pandemic sessions. And we've put five of those out so far. And we actually have a sixth one coming out tomorrow, which is really cool. And that's uh, really cool. Cause this one actually kind of got delayed a bit. Cause you know how like everyone, I feel like everyone just like six or seven months into the pandemic, we all just rolled our eyes and we're like, this uh, i'm over it there was a big lull in energy you know everyone just kind of like it was really hard to get stuff done for a while but so there was a little bit of a delay with this one but now we got we got the gears turning again and so we have this uh, new song coming out tomorrow Uh, i play bass on it i also edited the the music video for it and my friend uh and uh creative partner bobby halverson and he also uh helped to do the point live shows he was kind of co-musical director for those shows as well it's his band he writes the music he sings uh, for brother, sister and I play bass and it's really great music, really, really fun stuff. And that's a project that for me is just really satisfying as a musician. I really like all the people that are in the band and we, we connect musically very well and to hopefully get back to the schedule that we were keeping of playing a couple shows a month and recording a couple songs a month and just kind of doing our thing and just try to get heard, you know, <laughs> as every right. band wants to get heard. So yeah, I mean, what I've heard of that project uh, has been really enjoyable, man. I think that that crew that you're that you're playing with, uh, they definitely like mesh really well with what what you're bringing to the table musically as well. I mean, have y'all known each other for a while prior to you linking up with them musically? Uh, not so much, actually. I knew Bobby for a little while because we worked on some of the Nilsson Sings Nilsson stuff uh, back in 2014. And that was actually how I met him. I was introduced to him from uh, Van Dyke Parks, actually. He was working with Van Dyke, and I asked Van Dyke if he knew anyone that could arrange some uh, horns for me. And he said, I've got just the guy. And he forwarded me to Bobby, and Bobby did a great job arranging the horns. And we just stayed friends. And anytime that there was a project that made sense to work on, we worked on, like the Point Show. And, um, eventually it came around, like he had this band brother, sister that he's been doing in different iterations for probably the past 10 years or so. Like he's had like a chamber music iteration of it. It's just been him. And before it's been like a duo before, and he had this current iteration of it that was basically a rock band, like a five piece rock band plus strings and four part vocal harmonies, but they didn't have a bass player. And I went and saw them live and I was just kind of chuckling to myself because it was such good music, but it was funny because it was like, oh, now Bobby's going to pick up the bass and he's going to play bass for a song. And then he's like, but they don't even have a bass amp. They're going to plug through the guitar amp. And it just, it just wasn't the right vibe. And so eventually I was like, you know, I'm, let me play bass with you guys. This is good music. Come on. And then just really enjoyed it. You know, he's like, of course, that's, that's, that makes sense. Why wouldn't we have been doing that from the beginning? So that was, you know, a couple of years ago and we've been rehearsing, you know, uh, on a regular schedule ever since then, COVID notwithstanding and playing a few shows a month recording a few songs a month, just kind of being a band doing that whole thing. 
Well, yeah, man, I, I think that that, you know, like you said, that it happened so naturally, almost where you were wondering why it didn't happen sooner. I think it translates that way. You know, like you know, the reason I asked how long you guys had been, uh, you know, friends, let alone, uh, you know, musical collaborators, is it just sounds like weirdly almost like there's a lifetime of, uh, of knowing each other behind the, the, that musical interplay, which is awesome. You know, when you can find somebody who it feels like you've known longer than you have, like something, there's a reason for that. And, and you guys are capturing that on, you know, recordings now, which is really, I think it serves the songs well, just to have you guys be able to mesh quite that well together. I'm interested in hearing what you guys do next. And I'm, I'm definitely going to check out the song that comes out tomorrow. And, uh, yeah, I'll definitely sure be posting it. End. I'll be posting it all over my socials, and I'll send you a link and all. But uh, it's gonna be good. I'm actually really happy with this one. It, it's, I think it's my favorite so far of the bunch. This is the sixth one. I think it might be my favorite. I think the video is really strong. I, I'm just really stoked about it. So, oh yeah, man, I'm excited for you. Um, well, man, um, you know, I just appreciate you taking the time to talk to me today. Um, I know that, you know times are weird and sometimes it's you, you kind of think well what is there to talk about because a yeah. lot of us have been have been sitting around more than usual but uh i you know i keep telling people that this rest and uh, relaxation might be a stretch considering that there's some anxiety involved with the past year and a half to say the least but rest for sure uh i think that's just as productive as anything else man so uh you know i hope that you've been able to take advantage of that a bit and that whenever things open up a bit more that you can kind of hit the ground running because like i said i'm disappointed that i didn't see those previous uh point concerts but uh i'll be first in line whenever the next ones happen and uh really i mean i'm excited about your personal work man but the photography is amazing uh that kind of thing is always exciting and like i said i've already been inspired to you know add the santa monica's to my to my trip here so you're you're inspiring me in a lot of ways man yeah so well definitely you. hit me up hit me up if you come to the, the mountains sometime in the future i'll show you i'll show you all the secret spots because i'm back when i was doing this full-time practically i say full-time because i was going four or five times a week i've probably climbed that hill literally a thousand times like it's it is very much a backyard type feeling uh, situation for me so definitely hit me up yeah. and i'll give you some recommendations or even take you out who knows hell yeah Beneath the trees where it's shaded Under the 